We are starting a series today, a two-week series on what it means for us to have a relentless grip on hope. And today we're going to talk about hope for the weary. I wonder how many of us, we were so very excited uh, to start a new year, 2024, and here we are right at the beginning. And, and if you were honest, you would say, you know what, I, I'm already weary and I need some rest and I need some hope. You know, we are living in a world and in a time where we desperately need hope for the weary. And we're living in times that are just difficult and hope seems to be harder and harder to find. You think about what our world has gone through over the last few years. You know, the whole entire globe hit with uh, the COVID pandemic. And then we've got uh, political and government turmoil, not just in our country, but all over the world. You got financial struggles. Uh, a lot of us have had loss in our life over the last few years. And then a lot of us, you just got personal trouble or struggles or challenges or difficulty that you've been walking through and you are weary. I mean, our whole world seems to be, in a sense, kind of weary. How many of you, uh, when you say B.C., you're not talking about before Christ, like B.C. A.D., you mean before COVID, right? I mean, like, that's kind of the mindset that our world is living in right now. And, and I know the world has the, their own B.C. moment, but you do too. You've got your B.C. moment where I wish that I could just go back. And isn't that the temptation for us? When we're weary, when we're struggling, we just want relief, I mean, we're not necessarily looking for answers or strength to get through it or uh, ability to overcome or wisdom. We just want it gone. I, I want it off my shoulders. Can you give me some relief? And often the temptation for us when we're in that set state of mind is I just want to go back to before when it was good. Anybody ever felt like that? Like I just want to go back to the, what do we call it? The good old days. I just want to go back to the good old days. But there's some problems with that line of thinking. Three in particular that I just want us to be aware of. When we're tempted to go back to the way things were, to the, just at least I knew what it was or had a sense of control over it, or maybe it was a better day. See, there's some problems with that. One is that we forget about the reality, the truth, that God has put you in this time and in this place for a reason. And there are particular things, specific things, unique things to this moment and this place that God wants you here so that you can move through it either to grow you or to help somebody else. Another problem is that when we think about the good old days and we just want to go back, isn't it so often that we forget about all the problems that we had back then too? Like, we're just so focused on the problems we have today. Like, it's like yesterday was a unicorn and everything was wonderful. And we forget, you know, we had struggles then too. And then the other thing is we often forget, you know, God has put us in this place because he wants to move us forward. We're not meant to live here. We're passing through. God has an eternal home for us that he wants us to have our eyes set on that and that future, not the past. And so what we need is to not, not to go back as we're so often tempted to want to do, what we need is a hope for today. 
When we're weary, when we're tired, when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we don't have the answers we're looking for, we need a hope that is enough and is sufficient for today to move me into tomorrow. And that's what we're going to explore today. Now, what I want us to, to realize right here at the beginning is that if I'm going to have a hope that is big enough, that is going to be strong enough, there are some choices that I have to make. And the first choice is that I've got to believe in hope. Do you believe that we have a God of hope, that he is always working for good and he's always working and he's always working for you, his children, he's always moving us to his promises. We need to believe in hope. Number two, we need to choose to reject a false hope. See, it's not that there's not hope offered to us, it's that the world is often projecting to us all kinds of false hope. If you'll buy into this, if you'll do this, if you'll be here, if you'll participate in this, then there's all these promises. And what's the problem with that? It's always another promise and another promise and another promise because they never are fulfilled. And so we need to reject that false hope. And then we need to hold on to real hope. We need to, once we find it, we need to have a relentless grip on it and not let go. See, here's what we do as Jesus followers. As followers of Jesus, we must have a relentless grip on hope. It has to be like a death grip for us that we're not letting go. No matter what I'm walking through or I'm experiencing or what's happening around me or what's happening in me, I'm going to hold on to hope. And to be able to do this, you and I have got to be willing and be able and learn how to practice some discernment of how do I understand what's real hope for me to hold on to and how do I understand what's false hope? And I want you to know that our worldview here is critical. When it comes to understanding what's real hope and false hope, our worldview really matters. Now, why does it matter? Because what you see in the world will dictate what you pursue. Let me give you some examples. If you think that the world is unsafe, then you're going to pursue security. If you think that the world is about pleasure, you know, carpe diem, seize the day, live for today, then you're going to pursue pleasure at every turn. And it doesn't really matter how it's going to impact other people for the long run. I just want to feel good right now in this moment. And you'll even sometimes argue with yourself and justify behavior that you know is going to hurt you in the long run. But because you don't want to deal with the long run, you just want to feel good now and you just want the relief, you will choose pleasure. Or if you believe that the world is about success, then you'll make all kinds of sacrifices to be a successful person. And you'll look out for number one above all other things. If you think the world is about truth, then you will go on a pursuit of truth. If you think that the world is about love, then you will go looking how to give love and receive love. How you see the world is going to dictate what you pursue. And what you pursue will become your focus. In other words, what we think really matters most is what we're going to give our life to. It's what we're going to give our energy to. It's what we're going to give our pursuit to. Now, here is where we need to make, take a serious Serious evaluation of our life. I really want you to, to not just hear these words. I, I hope and I pray, and I've been praying over the last several days, that, that you will really take this and run with it. I really want you to evaluate your life, and I want you to ask yourself two questions. And if you're here in the room today in your bulletin, there's a couple of questions 
with a fill-in-the-blank, but this is not a fill-in-the-blank that I'm going to give to you. It's a fill-in-the-blank that I want you to answer for your life. And the first question is, is it, what is it that I'm pursuing in life? Like what, the things that I'm pursuing, what are they bringing into my life? What are they yielding in my life? If I'm pursuing money, what is that yielding in my life? If I'm pursuing freedom, what is that yielding in my life? If I'm pursuing success or love or pleasure or security or whatever it is for you, what is that yielding in your life? And the second question I want you to ask is what is the real longing of my heart? What is it that I really want most? And the reason I want you to ask yourself those two questions, and not just right now in this moment, but I hope and I pray over this next several weeks. What is the pursuit of my life yielding? And what I really want most is blank. I want you to ask yourself, do they match up? Because if what you are pursuing in your life is yielding a certain thing that doesn't line up with what the deepest longing of your heart really is, then we might need to change our pursuit. And this is where Jesus comes in and he offers a better way. Now the world might offer us all kinds of false hope that if you have security or financial you know, success or, or job and career success or if you have pleasure or if you have certain relationships or certain experiences or you go to certain places or experience certain things and then you'll have whatever. We need to ask ourselves, what are those pursuits yielding in my life? Because if the things that I'm really looking for and longing for are being fulfilled, then why do I continue to run on this rat race? Why do I keep chasing after things that have not yet seemed to fulfill what I'm wanting? And so we need to evaluate that. And Jesus comes and he does offer us a better way. So we hear, pick up in Matthew 11. And this is what we hear from Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are what? Weary. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder for how many of us on that second question, what I really want most is... I wonder if we'd have some version of what I really want most is some rest for my soul. What I really want most, you, you might call it something else, joy, peace, love, belonging. What I really want most, do you realize that what you want most is what Jesus has to offer? And he has this to offer because he says that that through him and no other way, that we get to know the Father, the creator of all the universe, the God who loves us, who gives us life and breath. We get to know him through Jesus. And because of that, Jesus says, I want you to come to me. 
And he has this weird phrase. He says, I want you to take my what? My yoke upon you. Now, for all of the young people in the room, what is a yoke? Well, I got a picture. Uh, this is a picture of an, a yoke. You would put this around uh, your cow or your donkey or your horse or, or whatever. And you, you could have a single one or like this one, you could have a double one where two would pull together. And, and that would help keep them in a straight line as they were plowing your field. It's kind of like before we had tractors, you had animals and you would put this yoke on them and they would pull your, your plow. And in the first century, this phrase to take my yoke on you, it, it was a common phrase, particularly for rabbis and Jewish teachers. They would come and say, like, I have a yoke that I want you to put on. And they would say this because they had an understanding that all of us are going to take on a yoke of some sort. We're going to be serving and submitted to something in some way. And so the, the first century rabbis had a very specific context when they would say this, so for a first century rabbinic teaching, there were two elements. The first was the kingdom of man. That you might choose to take on the yoke of the kingdom of man. This meant servitude or submission to a government or really any other human authority. This might be a boss. It might be, it might be the opinion of your friends. But you're submitting to, you're taking on the yoke, you're serving under, taking on the weight of the authority of human beings. But the other option that we might have is the kingdom of heaven. And this was servitude to Shema. Now Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, moving forward. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And it goes on throughout that chapter and it says, keep the commandments of the Lord. Surround yourself. Put them on the doorpost. Put them on your foreheads. Put them on your sleeves. Everywhere you are to surround ourselves with the commandments of God and keep them. And this is what those rabbis would call the kingdom of heaven. And they would tell the people around them, listen, you're going to take on the yoke of something. You're either going to take on the yoke of man and you're going to submit yourself to other people, their opinions, their rules, their leadership. And while there is a place for us to respect our leaders and, and come under the, the leadership of others, it's another thing to become a servant of human rules and opinions and their, their authority in our life as a kind of a kingdom. So we can choose that or we can choose the kingdom of heaven. And it's not if, it's what. Which one are we going to choose? And the rabbis would teach the people that what you want to do is you want to ultimately come under the kingdom of heaven. You want to take on the yoke of heaven. But this doesn't happen by accident. You don't just fall into the kingdom of heaven. And so these rabbis would say that the way that you need to do this is you need to come under the yoke of Shema. And what they meant by that was you need to come under the authority of Torah. Or the teachings of God, the commandments of God, the instructions of God. But even that doesn't happen by accident. And so these rabbis with good intentions and meaning would say, you need help. And so my role to help you come under the, the kingdom of heaven is I'm going to give you some instructions. I'm going to give you interpretation of Torah, of God's law. I'm going to give you some rules to follow that will help you. If you keep my rules, then you're going to fall under the kingdom of heaven. Now this interpretation, these instructions, these rules of the rabbis, that was called the rabbi's 
yoke. And so Jesus comes along. And he's looking at the world around him. And what does he see? He sees people who are broken, who are hurting, who are tired, who are lost, confused. He sees people who are weary, not by lack of effort. Listen, all the people around Jesus were trying very hard, probably harder than most of us are trying most of the time. It wasn't for lack of trying. They needed a different yoke. And so Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I can connect you to God. I can connect you to the Father. I have a different kind of authority. And because I know God the Father in an intimate way like no one else has, I have a different kind of yoke, not to abolish the law, but to give you a correct worldview and pursuit attached to God's plan. And so he says, come to me, all of you who are weak and weary, and I will give you not rules, not instructions. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. That's what a weary and broken world needs. Not a to-do list, not a how-to book. They need rest that they cannot find in the world. We need rest that we cannot find in the world. Ultimately, what I'm saying is we need a different kind of hope. And that's what Jesus offers. It's a different kind of hope. And when we come to him and we receive what he has to offer, when we take his yoke, we're going to experience something unlike anything that we would ever experience in any other place, in any other time, in any other way, in any other pursuit. I'm going to just say it quite simply this way, that the yoke of Jesus brings the hope of Jesus. When we do life his way, when we submit to him and we, we say, Lord, I want, to, I want to give my life to you, I want to serve you. Along with that comes the hope that only Jesus can bring. That whatever I'm walking through, that God has a purpose and a plan and a promise and his love and his power and his goodness and his glory are going to move into my life increasingly as I move toward heaven. And when I see him face to face, all the promises of God will be fulfilled completely. Perfect rest, perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy fulfilled by the work that Jesus has done for you and me. It's radically different. So do you want that? Do you want that kind of peace? Do you want that kind of joy? Do you want that kind of, uh, of purpose in your life? Well, to do that, we come to him and we say, Lord, I trust you. I trust. Not, listen, this is critical. Not in a certain outcome. That's Sometimes what we mean when we say, I, I trust God, I have faith in God, is that what I want to happen is going to happen. Nowhere in Scripture does God promise that what you want to happen is going to happen. What we're promised is, is that what needs to happen, what is actually good for us, will happen when we submit to the power, the truth, the glory, the grace of God. Now, I heard a statement this week, and it's really stuck with me. I don't have to understand what Jesus is doing to trust him. I just have to understand what he's done. And because of what he's done and what he offers, I can trust him regardless of the outcome. And when we do that, there's some, some things that, that happen in our life. And the first is that I actually get to really know God. And we say it this way in your notes. We only know God through Jesus. And isn't that what he said? 
I know the Father, the Father knows me, and, and you will know the Father if I reveal him to you. So come to me and submit to me so that you can really know the Father. When we come and we pursue Christ, when, when Christ becomes the center of our worldview and our pursuit, we will begin to hear the voice of God and recognize it. We will begin to discern correctly the presence of God's activity. We'll begin to understand God's truth. How many of us would love to say, I would love to read the Bible and have a sense of understanding? You know how we do that? We make Christ the center of our pursuit. We make Christ the center of our worldview, and he reveals to us who God is. The second thing that happens is that we have strength to keep walking with Jesus. You could say it this way. You can be weary and still walk with Jesus. I think this makes us as Christians radically different from every other pursuit of life. Because every other pursuit of life and every other religion of this world says perform and achieve. Jesus says surrender and receive. And we can be weary and broken and hurting and still walk with Jesus. That's good news. Because some of you are feeling a little bit disqualified because of where you are in life right now. And Jesus wants to say, come to me. I know you're weary. Just come to me. I know you're hurting. Just come to me. I know you're confused. Just come to me. And the third thing that happens is that he begins to give us some, a path for life. And that when we learn from Jesus, he brings practices of rest. I mean, think about the things that, that Jesus he points us to in life, they're not rules for the sake of rules. He's not trying to keep you in line or keep you in check. He's bringing practices that will move us toward hope. Things like prayer, worship, reading scripture, fellowship, forgiveness, resolving conflict with one another, uh, loving our enemies, those aren't just rules, but they're practices of rest. That when I give myself over to this way of Jesus, take that yoke on my life. Man, I don't understand why I have to love my enemy. But when I do it, I have a peace. God, I don't know why I have to forgive. But when I do, I have a freedom. And it's not about the rule. It's about the life that God involves, invites me into that will bring rest. And that rest really is the first fruit of hope. It's the, the, the feeling, experience of what's yet to come. And that's what happens when I, I take on these practices. I begin to experience the reality of hope today. Uh, it'll begin to, to solidify for me that my, my expectation and, and my belief in hope. But you know what else it does? It begins to transform me from the inside out that I can more fully experience what that hope looks like today. And that's the last thing that, that I want to lift up. When we take on the yoke of Jesus, connecting to Jesus brings the experiences of rest. Not just practices, but the experience of God's rest. That when we pray, we connect with the Lord. Then when we're, we're lost, we can know that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, interceding. He's leading. When we're struggling, we can have Actual strength from the Lord that doesn't make sense. When we're confused, we get wisdom from God that I can't get from any other place or any book or any seminar. 
When I'm hurting, I get comfort from the living God. I experience God when I'm pursuing Jesus and come under his authority, his yoke. And so it, it really just, it comes back to those two questions, the fill in the blank that you have to answer. The pursuit of my life is yielding blank. What I really want most is blank. And do those two line up? Because if they don't, Jesus has a better way. And there really is hope for the weary. But what will you choose? When I think a lot of us, we, we know with our, our head, well, I'm supposed to choose Jesus, right? But man, those other things are so shiny and so tempting. I want to pursue Jesus, but man, I, I really, really, really want to be successful. Well, I want to pursue Jesus, but I really, really, really want financial security. No, I really, I want to pursue Jesus, but I really want this feel-good thing right now. Well, I really want to pursue Jesus, but I really want this relationship. Or I really want to pursue Jesus, but I would really rather numb out than deal with the struggles that I'm walking through. It's a hard choice. But there's a trade that Jesus offers when we come to him. We trade our weariness for rest. And I wish I knew how, how to make this clear. It's going completely off script for a second. In my own life and, and walking with so many of you, too many times what we do is we, we know that Jesus offers something that we can't get from any place in the world. We just refuse to let go of the world. And we choose to come under the yoke of the kingdom of men rather than the kingdom of heaven. And I am begging you to be willing to let go of the world so that you can receive real hope for your weary soul. And it may mean you need to walk away from a particular relationship or a particular job. Maybe you need to stop checking your 401k or your bank account every half hour. Maybe you need to stop spending the way you're spending. Maybe you need to stop being in certain places or spending your time in certain ways or watching certain things, not because it's a rule, but because you've allowed yourself to become yoked to something that's not giving you life. It breaks my heart. Not just for you, but for me too. I do the same thing. And I want what Jesus offers. So we have that choice to make. But thank God that there's a good trade. I get to trade my weariness for rest. I get to trade it for hope.